Hey everyone, this is Rob Liefeld and you are listening to Rob Zervations, my podcast where I talk comics and, 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 and all things comics and comic movies and comic streaming and comic cartoons and comic records and you know this already. Here's the deal. Today, if you are, are, are feeling extra big energy from me, there's a reason. This, this is a special, a very special edition of Rob Observations because today, as you are listening to this uh, episode, this, this Rob Observations episode, it is June 25th, 2021, which means it is 30 years to the date, to the absolute date of the release of X-Force number one, X-Force Number one, the comic book that changed my life forever, inevitably, in, in, in ways I, I will never be able to fully express, but in, in, in multiple ways, maybe, and hopefully, it changed your life. It gave you an extra kick that day. It gave you an extra smile. It um, opened up your imagination and opened up possibilities for you. It uh, m- Maybe you bought a bunch of copies and you traded them and you sold them and you made some sweet coin. Um, maybe earlier in this year when that Deadpool card was jumping in in, in value and it was an, a rookie card and you broke it open and sent it to PSA and 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 you got a great grade and and it and it's worth eight hundred dollars now. I mean, I'm just hoping that somehow, creatively, financially, uh, on, on on whatever level, just just a, just a satisfaction of the story. I I hope that it impacted you because it impacted me. It absolutely impacted me. I cannot believe it's been 30 years. Okay, let's 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 think about this real quick. Okay, let's think about this. So if you were 10 years old when you bought X-Force number one, let's, I mean, it's easy math. You're 40 now, okay? If you were 15, okay, you're <laughs> you're 45. You're 45 years old, okay? So so this is this is the uh the fun of, of something like, like what we've got going on today where, uh, where, (laughs) where you can just add 30, add 30 to whatever age you are 12, you're 42, right? Okay. If you were, if you were 18, you're 48. Okay. So, so 30 years, it's, it's a, it's a great round, rich, amazing number. I love it. I'm so excited. Uh, you know, uh, we're going to discuss a lot of, we're going to take some trips down memory lane today. We're going to, we're going to go kind of, um, inside the making of X-Force, which went far beyond just the comic book that I wrote and drew and, and, and the comic that made it to your hands. Um, I just, <laughs> I just, I'm telling you, this is, this is a really fun day. I can't believe we made it to 30 years because X-Force was a, was a really, um, it actually represented a huge gamble for Marvel. It was a gamble to launch a bunch of unknown characters. It was a gamble to, um, you know, take a shot on a 22-year-old uh, creator, and uh, w- which is what they did when they brought me on board and said, "Look, you can you can alter this new mutants title. We're going to shut it down if you don't." I I cannot uh, stress to you enough the conversation that I had with the editor at the time, Bob Harris. Bob Harris um, get, gets is not unlike myself in the editorial uh, realm, and, and obviously we both. Uh, share the basis of a name, Robert, Bob, Rob, Robbie, Bobby. Um, he, he, as an editor, has um, gained as much notoriety as I have as a creator. Bob was a guy who was editing the Hulk and G.I. Joe. And uh, one day he went on to inherit 
the mantle of X-Men editor. And as an X-Men editor, he was looking to change things up. And I can tell you very, very, um, very clearly because I was an X-Men fan uh, like so many of you are and were. And the older you are, the more you're going to remember that that 80s run of X-Men was definitive in our lives. We we loved all of the different adventures, uh, learning um, Wolverine's true, you know, more more of his mystery of, of who he was, falling in love with Mariko, getting getting um, getting ready to, to marry her, Silver Samurai, Wrecking Shop, the Viper, messing all that up, um, the entire Brood Saga, the Imperial Guard, the Star Jammers, uh, Madeline Pryor, you know, Jean Grey, Mister Sinister. Uh, Inferno, Mutant Massacre. These were game-changing, life-altering events for comic book fans. We hung on every word. I have done extensive podcasts over the last year uh, covering the X-Men and how they became the franchise they became. And uh, and you should check those out if you haven't already because fr- the, the X-Men 100% became a franchise in the 80s. They realized rather than spinning them off, they could go bi-weekly. I had an entire podcast covering how they cracked this code, and it was better than, than having another X-Men book at the time to actually do two X-Men books. And so you would do a book, book every other week, and that the sales actually went higher on the X-Men books instead of maybe getting a spinoff like X-Factor, which launches and then falls below the X-Men line. This was a, a really in, in, incredible time if you were an X-Men fan. All of the different experiments... All the different gambles that they took on the X-Men family in building it into this giant war chest for Marvel Comics. A war chest of of rich characters, visuals, um, you know, worlds that we all love to escape to. Comic books is our escapism. What, what, What everyone is now realizing when we see this stuff in live action and when we see this stuff, you know... Uh, uh, on streaming, what, what they're what they're realizing is how much fun we've been having looking at all this stuff on the page. You know, now it's getting big budgets and big special effects and big actors, and it's coming to life so that people who would normally not um, favor a comic book, the, the paper interaction, the line art, the artwork that we do, they're getting it in, in a more um, mass market, you know, uh, presentation, which they're finding is as compelling as we found the pages. You know, we're the OGs. We're the we are the OGs. All of us who dug this stuff and dug the comic books, we know how it made us feel way back when these franchises, and, and this franchise in particular, the X-Men was being built, was being was being expanded. And uh Bob Harris went into that office and recognized that everybody was a little long in the tooth. Chris had been writing it uh, at that point for 13, 14 years, okay? Um, all of the other writers had been on their assignments better part of five years, and uh, and 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 it needed a tweak, it needed a kick, and and so he was looking to jumpstart and to get fresh faces. One of those fresh faces that he gave a call was my to myself, and and really looking back, there wasn't a whole lot of 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 spots for me to um to to to, to if you were, if you wanted to plug me in. Like Bob did, because he he liked my talent. He called me when I was doing my Hawk and Dove miniseries and said, "I want to get you over in the X Force. I'm building in the X office. I, I want to get you over in the X office. I'm building, you know, a new crew. I want some new talent, fresh faces." So, at that point, he only had four books: X Factor, X Men, which would do the biweekly thing, uh, uh, three to four months a year. So, X Men, X Factor, Wolverine, and the New Mutants. With um with X Men 
Mark Silvestri was and remains one of the best illustrators to ever draw comics, and he is easily I've I've maintained this. Mark is is um the best illustrator of my peer group, my especially of the image guys. And 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 he is what he does is effortless. He is so polished and talented. And uh and his run on X-Men kind of was the new excitement there from like 86, 87 on through like 89. Um he had done a lot of issues. He had he had been on the book about three and a half years. He had started on an X-Men Avengers miniseries. That's where he first dipped his toe in. Then he graduated to the X-Men book as a result of that X-Men Avengers miniseries that he illustrated and uh, and got tapped and was the re- regular X-Men guy. But the approach, he hadn't applied kind of what we call the 90s sensibilities yet. He hadn't gone big. He hadn't made his page loud. He was just a really damn good storyteller. And um, the stories he was telling... Um, I would say they were slightly light on action, with the with the exception of Inferno, which was heavy on action. Some of those um, issues that he was doing with Chris were very quiet, and uh, I think it was an era where things were about to get really loud, and the people who were doing them loud, making their pages louder, panels bigger, figures bigger, breaking panel borders, big 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 faces, big figures. Those, those, that approach was paying huge dividends. It was grabbing attention because it was a sea at that point of six and eight panel grids. And the X-Men was no different. It was a lot of eight panel, six panel grids. And I think Claremont, Chris Claremont, I believe, if he was to be honest with himself, was a little tired, was a little bored. And uh, so, so if, if, if Bob was looking to make a shakeup on that book, um, as he was with Jim Lee, well, there wasn't a whole lot more room. He had asked me if I wanted to take over X Factor because Walt Simonson, who had just finished an enormous run on X Factor and a multi-year amazing run, was leaving. But I did not want to follow Walt Simonson. I told Bob to his face, I don't want to do that. that that's a bad idea. Me following Walt Simonson is a bad, bad idea. I've talked about this in a career management episode of the podcast where you have to take inventory of who you're going to follow. Do you really want to follow one of the greatest that ever was? You shouldn't. I didn't. I did not. Okay? I, I, I made that decision. I was not going to make that mistake by following Walt Simonson and having people just go, oh man, it was so much better when Walt did it. Because that would have been indeed absolutely the result of that evaluation because I was not anywhere near um, as polished, as 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 realized in my style and what I wanted to do as Walt was. So, and Bob Harris said, Rob, what are you doing? This book pays a lot better. Well, you're going to make a lot more money doing doing X Factor. The royalties are much more substantial. I said, no, 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 I, I can't. I, I I literally said, Bob, Bob I, I, I don't want to follow Walt Simonson. I don't, I don't want to do that. And, uh, and little did I know that he was actually planning some fill-ins with Paul Smith, X-Men legend, Paul Smith, who did some of my favorite X-Men issues, and then a couple issues with Art Adams. So, I mean, oh my gosh, I, I would have been following like a legacy of Hall of Fame X-Men greats. I wasn't ready yet. He he said, you know, the new mutants, I'm looking to make a change here. He said the artist had just had, the artist and his wife had just had a baby, so he's going to give them some time, six months. Can I wait it out? But he wants to put me on new mutants because he wants to make a change because that team has been there a, a, a long time. And he said they were a little long in the tooth and he wanted to make a change. And so I said, I'd love to. Um, again, I did not call up and ask for the new mutants. This was offered to me. And the editor was looking to make a change because his job, as we've covered so, on so many of these podcasts, you guys, 
Marvel needed to turn a profit. Marvel was bleeding red ink before they stumbled into the rights for the Star Wars comic book in 1977. And that comic book yielded them millions and millions and millions of dollars. And if they hadn't struck gold with Star Wars, agreed to terms with George Lucas and Lucasfilms, then maybe there is no X-Men by John Byrne in 1978 and 79 and 80. And there is no Days of Future Past or Dark Phoenix. Um, you have to have money to run the label, okay? And and maybe there is no, you know, uh, Count Nefarious storyline or Korvac storyline, some of my favorite Avengers stuff or my favorite Marvel team-ups, Marvel 2-in-1s, Fantastic Fours. You know, the, the job of the editor is to sell as many comic books as he possibly can. At the same time, Jim Salakrup was the editor of the Spider-Man book and he had struck gold with Todd's rendition of Spider-Man. And earlier this week, one of the editors in the office was talking about how um, people within the office were not a fan of what Todd was doing with Spider-Man and urged Salakrup not to go in that direction. But Jim st stuck to his guns and says, I think the fans are going to respond very um, powerfully to this. Prior to Todd doing Spider-Man, it was a very uh, 70s approach still in the mid-80s between Ron Friends, Sal Buscema, Alex Saviak, very good illustrators all. All of them very good illustrators. But they had not been pushed to... Uh, to, to kind of expand and get louder yet. It was, again, a sea, Marvel Comics, the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, the X-Men, they were all these six, four, eight-panel grids. Everything was a very uh, was a grid. It was, it was a system that Shooter had really leaned into. Tom DeFalco, who was the editor-in-chief at the time, was also very... Um, it was a very safe approach to comics. Guys as stylistic as Walt Simonson could play with it and break it and have fun with it because he was that good. But most of the guys, the Paul Ryans, the Alex Savieks, all great, fantastic draftsmen, journeymen, they would draw you... A sketch by one of them in your sketchbook would blow your mind. These guys are great illustrators. But the the approach to storytelling was very, um, just very basic. I would say leaning towards dull. So Todd Spider-Man and the weird proportions and the wanky, in his own words, wonky, that's a, that's a Todd McFarlane word, the wonky poses, was seen as maybe too too risky. But Salakrup doubled down, went all in on Todd, and the sales of Spider-Man went through the roof. They just went through the roof. And uh, and so, so you know, he then gets Eric Larson to come in and, and kind of do more of what Todd was doing. Eric already had a ton of energy and Kirby ballsiness and, and, and was a badass storyteller himself, so he fit perfectly. The reason I'm talking about the Spider-Man office is they recruited me too. Jim Salakrup said, just just come join your buddies. You talk like this, Rob. You'd have so much fun. You and Todd, you're great friends. You you and Eric, you, you just you just have so much fun. Come on and join us. We're, we're changing things in the Spider-Man office. We're changing things. He was changing things. He was threatening the X-Men books, which is why Bob is like, I got to counter move, counter move this. Bob had given Todd his work on G.I. Joe, and his work on Hulk. Bob was Todd's um, conduit to early Marvel work. When Todd left DC Comics, Bob Harris had him do the Hulk. Bob Harris had him do an issue of G.I. Joe. <clears throat> Bob Harris had him do a New Universe comic. I think it was... Uh, uh, man, I'm, it, it's, it, it escapes me now. But Todd did one of these New Universe books. Bob had believed in Todd, but he now lost him to Spider-Man. Obviously, Todd wanted to do Spider-Man. So now he was working with Jim Salakrup in the Spider-Man office. So... Bob is taking a leap. He is following kind of what Jim is doing because, again, the fans showed up for what Todd was doing. 
Now he's following a similar guy. And what I've covered again multiple times, I just keep making references to, to other podcasts because if you want to hear me go much deeper in this, we were all doing a version of Art Adams, what Art Adams was doing uh, circa 1985 to 1988, that, that Art Adams style that Art was was not able to give more than four times a year at that point. Maybe two annuals, which which equaled two comics each. So Art could do four comics a year. And like Todd said, but if, if, if we give Art on a regular basis, they'll eat it up. That's what we're doing. We're giving Art Adams to the kids, but monthly, okay? And he's not wrong. That's the guy. Art Adams was like the ultimate fan favorite. He mashed up Walt Simonson, Mike Kaluta, um, um, Michael Golden into this amazing, most commercial style I'd ever seen. And uh, I just bought some Art Adams 1985 comic book pages last week in an auction. And that is the stuff I love. That is the stuff I go crazy for. And we were trying to give it to him on a monthly. Give Art Adams to all of them on the monthly is exactly what we were doing. Okay. So, so when Bob takes a gamble on me and, and, and he says, we need a new leader, Rob, what do you think about introducing a new leader to the X-Men, to, to, to new mutants? And I said, well, again, I looked at Xavier and Magneto were the two kind of big leader figures in the X-Men world. And, and, and even so much why Magneto was on my mind was he had recently been a headmaster for the, the new mutants in, in their own comic book. And, uh, so I'm like, well, Magneto has a, has a certain worldview and Xavier has a certain worldview. How about this kick-ass soldier from the future with an X-Men legacy tie to one of the families who is, and, and, and again, all of these different possibilities were on the table from day one. It was an exciting array of possibilities. And the, the seemingly bionic arm, the eye, the scars, the story, the history, slightly older, um, time traveler, all of this stuff. And, and when Bob took that risk and let me walk through that door with cable, the fortunes changed. Um, the sales from just, if you look at the end of, uh, of New Mutants 85, when it says Rob Liefeld is coming, they're like, Rob Liefeld is coming. Because I, I was a guy who was moving the needle. I was a young talent who was absolutely moving the needle. It's, it's like I was a young actor. My, my, my first film was a hit. I mean, again, put this in different, you know, different perspectives. I was, I was a young uh, basketballer. I mean, people are making a big deal out of, I mean, the NBA has a lot of new talent in, in the last three years. They're thriving. That almost works with my timeline. I was at about a two-year mark instead of a three-year mark. So I was the Luka Doncic. I was the I was the Trey Young of, 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 of my, my rookie class, okay? And I was breaking out big and they were starting to market around me and they were start, starting to, to, to use my name to sell comics. And so my name was being sold to, 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 for you to check out New Mutants. We've got a brand new town. He's coming on board. It's at the, again, it's at, the, it's at the last blurb in New Mutants 85. Rob Liefeld is coming. Well, I'm bringing Cable with me. It would take an issue. But I snuck Cable into you know New Mutants 86. I made sure you saw him in that last issue blurb and then boom you got him in 87 and he followed everything that I pitched to Marvel here's the deal when it comes to Cable when it comes to Deadpool when it comes to Domino when it comes to Shatterstar I sold them to Marvel that is that is the basis of how you do this business I walked in the door I, they, they, they said Rob do you have a leader I do I have a leader in mind but Bob wanted to call him Quinn I said no you're not calling him Quinn it's going to be Cable just like it is right there Okay. My, my other name was Cybrid. I, I had like possibly Cybrid. It's right there on all, all the sketches. Well, um, the, the, the Cybrid moniker, 
I would then later publish under Image Comics. So I would carry that with me. But cable, I was fighting for cable. Um, other people suggested other names. I, I, I was like, look, if you don't allow me to call him and portray him as he's going to be, I'm not going to sell him to you. I will not, he will not jump from this sketchbook. And we just covered the secret history of X-Men in our previous episode where Nightcrawler and Storm and all of these characters were in Dave Cockrum's sketchbook from when he was at DC Comics. Nightcrawler was going to be in a Legion of Superheroes spinoff book exactly as you see him now. He looked exactly the same. He may have had a slightly different origin, but he looked from head to toe exactly the same. Storm became slightly augmented, but that character, that look, that visual was in his sketchbook. Dave, Dave Cockrum, myself, George Perez, we had sketchbooks, we had characters. In George's was Cyborg and Starfire. In mine was Cable and Deadpool and Domino and Shatterstar. So when I would go into this deal, and the reason for me to do this deal is, what if I came up with the next Wolverine? Okay, let me let me ask you right now. Let me ask you as you listen. Close your eyes. Or not, but close your eyes. Imagine that you are a lifelong X-Men fan, that as a kid, finding an X-Men issue on the racks every month, pulling those comics off the racks, enjoying those adventures, those John Byrne, Terry Austin, Savage Land, Japan, Canada, international adventures, the Hellfire Club, Dark Phoenix, Days of Future Past. This was your favorite comic. When you saw this comic, it gave you a thrill. It gave you a jolt like nothing else. More than any movie, more than any TV show. Imagine... Reading about Wolverine, knowing Wolverine was new. He was a part of your youth. He was created in your youth. He wasn't created, it wasn't the Avengers and Thor and Iron Man and the Fantastic Four that you knew were created before you were born. Wolverine was created when you were a kid. You were part of his growth and you watched him become more and more popular to the point where his name alone was selling comic books. Well, imagine wanting to be part of that world. Literally, I'm Ariel on, on the bottom of the ocean and, and I'm, I'm, I'm pining away in my fin swimming, you know, saying part of your world, part of your world. I just want to be part of your world. I'm not going to break this brilliant blue Yeti microphone right now trying to sing a song from the little mermaid, but I realize I'm, I'm sounding like, um, like the little mermaid here. I'm sounding like Ariel and, 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 and I'm wanting to be part of the X-Men world, part of their world in the worst possible way. Well, I, I, I dream of making the next Wolverine. Okay. Then you are given that shot. You are entered into that world. You, they, they said, you, we want to work. We want you to work in the X-Men office. That call comes while I'm on Hawk and Dove. Hawk and Dove are D-list DC characters at the point at that time. And all the efforts that myself and the Kiesels poured into that miniseries raised them to B-plus level. They still weren't A-level. They still weren't A-plus. But I got a call to come and be part of the X-Men office, okay? To be part of that world. It's amazing. I was blown away. And now I could start contributing characters, possibly creating my own legacy, possibly building out the next Wolverine again. I say possibly because there was a lot of new characters. This was a huge time for for new faces and... and uh, you know, whether it was a complete reboot of a character like they did with Warren Worthington's Angel, where now he was Archangel and his and he had steel wings that shot blades. So he kinda, you know, walked on that Wolverine kind of blade, you know, kind of danced on that razor and, and 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 became more sinister. What this was a time of new characters. So it didn't guarantee long-term success, but I was gonna get a shot. That kid that worshipped the X-Men that 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 lived in this fantasy that one day he would be part of the X-Men world is now in it. 
and I have the opportunity to sell some of my characters because that's what you're doing. And what you're getting in return is a percentage of sales, of toys, of games. You're getting royalties. This is what this contract with Marvel stated in 1988, 1989. That's when I sold all these characters and I got a sheet. I agree to blah, 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 sell cable, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, Rob Liefeld, agree to blah, 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 sell Deadpool, Domino. I've got all those. I pulled them all out the other day. I've got my vintage 1988, 1989 agreements that I originally signed. I'm taking a, they're taking a shot on me and I'm taking a shot on me. I'm taking a belief on me. I'm rolling the dice that people are going to show up for Rob Liefeld, show up for Rob Liefeld's characters, show up for, for Cable, show up for Domino, show up for Shatterstar, show up for Deadpool. The great end of this story, as you know, is they did. And they did in an overwhelming fashion when it all came to fruition. 30 years ago, as of this recording, you are listening to right now, X-Force Hit. The building up that I did with these characters from issue 87. And again, Strife. Strife. I created Strife. I wouldn't tell anybody who was under that mask. I was not going to have that huge moment taken from me. There was no way I was going to share that. When I finally revealed it, when they got the final page, my editor was like, why didn't you tell us this? Oh my gosh. I'm like, I don't trust anybody. I'm living in Orange County. I'm mailing these pages to you all, all the way across the country. In overnight boxes, there was no scanners, no computers. The best we had was the fax machine. But I am not sending my stuff to be ripped off, to be um, plagiarized by anybody else. I want to keep my secrets because I understood the soap opera motif. It's the twists. It's the page turns. And there was no way I was going to let anybody steal that thunder from me. And so when they released the writer, because we were having some tension. We were having creative tension. It happens on television shows, on movies, um, in, in comic books, in music. That's why band leaders, I mean, Aerosmith, um, um, you know, br breaks up. The Eagles break up. Journey breaks up. Styx breaks up. You know, Van Halen infamously breaks up like three times because of creative tensions. We had creative tensions. And, uh, and because I had been promised that I could write the book, it was time to make do. And so they gave me that shot. And I knew that I had three issues to queue up for X-Force and, 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 and to get X-Force um, kind of situated so that when it launched in June, so, so New Mutants 98, 99, 100 was now the end game to get every, all the pieces in place so that we could launch and, and start this giant adventure on June 25th, June 25th, 1991. That is when we are landing. That is when you walked into a store and you had your choice of five different X-Force issues. Each one had a different trading card. Polybagged throughout and you tore it open. You bought one for yourself. You opened it, you, whatever card you had, and you read that double-sized issue, that 48-page X-Force number one that launched 30 years ago today. But it almost despite everything I've just told you, despite all the success that the book was experiencing, despite the, the, the fact that from 86 to 87, we went up 10,000 copies. From 87 to 88, we went up 20,000 copies. By the time I am writing the book, New Mutants 98 is up half a million copies from when I came on. In the course of one year, and yes, 
you know, this is the great thing. <laughs> like I said, my editor, Bob Harris, was polarizing. And, and clearly, it was a few years after this that I would become very polarizing. And, and I'm going to tell you why. It, 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 I'll wrap it up really neatly. It's because of my youth. We'll get to that later. My youth was used against me. It was used to punish me. Um, harder to do now that I am 53 and in, in entering into the 35th year of my career. But back then, because I was young, you could call me brash. You could call me inexperienced, you know, youthful. Um, I'm going to cover where one of my, you know, co-workers called me greedy, which is ridiculous. Okay. Um, and, 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 and this tension was coming because the book was doing so well. It was defying the odds. It was, it was exceeding all possible expectations. From New Mutants, my first, they told me the book is selling 112,000 copies. Suddenly, we were 150,000 copies by issue um, 88. By issue 92, because I pressed and pressed for this Wolverine appearance in Madripoor with Strife. I pressed for this and we had to wait for clearance because you had to submit and, and, and the powers that be had to, had to decide whether you got access to Wolverine. Those two issues then put us, boom, into the 300,000s. We are now... We are now jumping X Factor. We have we have jumped to somewhere between Wolverine and the X Men, and we are gaining on X Men sales. And no one saw this coming. But despite all of this, despite every single aspect of this, there was resistance. And 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 we are going to cover how X Force almost did not come to be the the absolute nitty gritty details of how X Force almost failed. To materialize, and and uh, and 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 that is just an amazing story. I had some great companions, some great, you know, um, friends who were helping me. Again, from New York, where I was in Orange County, you know, six-hour flight away. I had friends in New York City who wanted to help make this a reality, make this, you know, happen, make X Force, um, you know. Put X Force into your hands and, and and complete kind of the vision that I set out when when they hired me when I introduced Cable when I sold Cable to Marvel when I sold Shatterstar Deadpool all these characters signed these agreements giving them these characters for this you know share of the futures you know of this character and 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 going forth for the rest of my life okay that was the plan was to get them to this new place to change the name of the book was always the plan because the New Mutants it's still hard to say New Mutants. I have a hard time saying it. Maybe, maybe you say it. It's no problem. But New Mutants is New Mutants. New Mutants. It's it's just it didn't roll off the tongue the way X Men, X Men, and and so so the plan to unhatch X Force was afoot, but it would face some serious obstacles getting there, and we're going to cover that right now. So how in the world did X Force almost not happen? What does that even mean? Well, to to get to that point, I got to take you to the inspiration for why X-Force was even a twinkle in young Rob Liefeld's eye. Again, my entire intent, as I said, was to transform New Mutants. I didn't like the title. I didn't like saying it. Um, but none of this is possible if Marvel doesn't do Spider-Man number one in the summer of 1990, taking Todd off of Amazing Spider-Man and creating what is known as the adjective list because there is no amazing or spectacular or web of. Just Spider-Man. Just straight up Spider-Man by Todd McFarlane. They launched Spider-Man with three variants, okay? A polybagged, a standard, and then this special, you know, silver edition. And uh, 
They launched that in summer of 1990 to the tune of 3 million copies. 3 million copies. And in another uh, podcast, I've detailed uh, this story, but I, I'm going to feel free and share it with you, you again today. After going to the comic store the weekend that Spider-Man number one came out, and uh, the Friday, actually, that Spider-Man came up, I, I wanted to see it. I, I wanted to hold it. I wanted to feel it. I was a fan of Todd's. Todd was my buddy. Uh, I went and bought a number of the issues and, and I was coming back into my apartment because that's where I lived. I live in an apartment, okay? I, I shared that apartment with my parents. My parents, as I've detailed many times, were broke off their ass. My mom was working uh, full-time as a secretary, as she had so often in my life. And my dad, for those of you who don't know, had been um, had just gotten his ass completely kicked by uh, by that time, 1978, 12 years, 12, 13 years of brain surgeries, brain tumors. Um, he had already done uh, three different stays in the hospital. One was nine months where he fell into a coma. In 1978, my dad was in a coma called a vegetable. We were advised to never, to not let him wake up again. I'm not going to sing this sad song today, but it, um, and, and, and his one eye was sewn shut. He had a scar over it. Uh, that, 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 that's a little bit of the, the, the cable um, inspiration there. But the, the thing is, in 1978, my dad went in for a brain tumor. There was a blood clot. He was in a coma for nine for nine months. He was not. He did not return home to us for ten months. Very traumatic time for my life. My, you know, I'm, I'm 11 years old. My my sister is 17. Uh, my mom is is throttled by all of this. Then uh, when I graduate, the, the my parents fly in. From my dad has got a job in Chicago. He flies in. I stayed behind to finish my senior year. They fly in. They tell me the night before my graduation that he, all the tumors have regrown. So this is now six, seven years later. But now he's got this really awesome specialist in Chicago who is going to uh, 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 operate on him, Dr. Rinaldi. And, and, and that actually goes very smooth. But I am to stay with him the entire summer while my mom works in Chicago. And I, uh, I would help basically tend to my dad's knees. I'm a dutiful son. I, I signed up. I was not prepared to graduate and get on a plane the next day and go live in Chicago, but that's what happened. That's some, sometimes that's, that's what happens. Um, in 1988, it all came back again. My dad went to UCLA for, uh, yet another cleaning of all of these tumors and, uh, the masses that were, 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 were pressing on his brain. So, um, my parents' financial situation, my dad, uh, it robbed him of, the second tumors in 85 robbed him of his speech. He, those those who knew my dad, uh, Paul Liefeld spoke with kind of a frog's uh, real low voice like this, okay? Because uh, the second tumors in 85 took his uh, his vocal cords. They had wrapped around and strained and, and, and uh, the way our vocal cords come together to vibrate to give us our voices, this voice. He has he was now compromised. He he lost one eye in the first the first um, uh, brain tumor, and then he lost most of his voice in the second. So my dad was very compromised, very hard to get a job. Um, wiped him out financially, a lot of different issues, and so I am in an apartment living with my parents, wondering uh, if I can get my f- family to a better place. We used to live better. We had a nice we had a nice middle class you know life that I enjoyed. We were never rich. Um, we, we, I wasn't brought up to covet 
or to um, we didn't we didn't want stuff. I, I I had plenty in my life, comic books and and entertainment and the love of two great parents and a great family, and and we just we weren't raised to be strivers to to want super nice things. That wasn't in my that wasn't something that that I was it, it never even factored into my upbringing. And uh, so when I am telling you that I returned to that apartment with those copies of Spider Man, I was wondering the potential. Like that was a big deal to go from you know whatever Amazing Spider-Man was selling to to go to three million copies. The world seemed much bigger that afternoon uh, with what Todd had accomplished. And again, just to wrap up the whole you know point of being telling you about the apartment is you know I was just making my comics, hoping to help contribute to my family's bottom line, helping to make their dollars go further. Because again, I just wasn't didn't have my eye on any sort of giant financial prize. And anyone who has ever referred to me as greedy is making a huge uh, mistake in regards to my character. And my, my life has been a, a testament to that. Uh, I, I want very little. I, I, I'm very easily satiated. So that Spider-Man, number one in 1990, as I am sitting there in the apartment contemplating the success of that book and, and this new career achievement Todd has achieved, and what does this mean for the comics industry? My phone rang. I I picked it up. You didn't. We didn't have caller ID. These are these are plug in the wall and in the cords. No, cell phones weren't happening yet. This is the summer of 1990. Okay, none of that. If there was a mobile phone, it was as big as your head, and it would cost like a car payment to to you know uh, the cost of a car to carry around and pay for the plan. Okay, so so anyway, I get the call. It's Jim Lee on the other line. Jim Lee, myself, Eric Larson, my peer group, we talked a lot. I talked to Eric Larson and Todd McFarlane almost every day. I talked to Jim Lee several times a week. We were tight. We were watching each other. We were um, talking about each other's business. We were very much a tight-knit group. Uh, Jim had called and said, hey, did you get Spider-Man number one? I said, yes, I did. He goes, what'd you think? I go, I think it's great. I can't believe it. It's amazing. Yeah, uh, uh, it's me. Ne- next year, it's me. And and that is word for word what Jim blurted out to me. It's me, period or comma, next year, period or comma, it's me. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, I- I'm, I'm getting the slot. X-Men number one. They already told me. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm the, the, uh, X-Men number one ne- next summer, 1991. And I'm going to tell you guys, my most avid listeners, you guys who have been with me, you've, you've possibly heard this before, but I'm going to make it really clear for you right now. I dropped, I was standing when I took the call, standing over my desk. I had my art desk in my bedroom. I then slumped onto my mattress. I felt defeated. Todd's got his big platform. And now Jim has told me that he has been you know, it's like, you have been pre-selected. Jim deserved X-Men number one. There's no doubt that that is not even a basis of debate. Of course, Jim Lee was tearing it up. He was bringing a resurgence to the X-Men and excitement. He had become more key in the storytelling in guiding Chris Claremont. And as I've said, they were going back to all of the juicy John Byrne haunts, the Savage Land, Magneto, the Hellfire Club, the stuff that I had wanted multiple sequels to Imperial Guard, my whole life, Kazar, Zabu. I mean, uh, they were ringing some bells and Jim was revisiting some great classic storylines with his 
fresh new lines, take, art. He was getting louder, bolder. It was very exciting. The X-Men deserved a number one. Of course they did. And it was now known to me. And I panicked. I can't get left behind. I can't get left behind. There's no way. All the work I'm doing, I can't get left behind. This, that, that summer was was uh, what was key. I, those were my Wolverine, you know, cable issues. Um, New Mutants, 93, 94, that stuff. And uh, there was going to be a crossover heading into, you know, the fall. The extinction agenda was being, you know, conceived at that time. I was going to be getting the reins of the book, controlling it, writing it now. On the other end of that crossover, which would have been Louise Simonson's Swan Song. I did not want to commit all my resources to doing those books because I wanted to plan for my new story arc, which would set up the team as X-Force. But now I had to wonder, would I have a chance to, to, to restart the book, renumber the book, get the book launched in the same way that Jim was going to get for X-Men and Todd had just had with Spider-Man? Because these were being received extremely well and there was there was... No doubt in my mind that X-Men was going to do better than Spider-Man. X-Men was already more popular than Spider-Man. So by Jim Lee getting the Spider-Man, Todd McFarlane treatment, it was ultimately going to sell way better. And I knew this in June of 1990. So I started to formulate my plan because I had to catch my breath. I had to refocus because when Jim said, it's me next year, it's me that I'm like, I'm going to get, I'm going to get left behind. And if I get left behind, there's no catching these guys. And I started to formulate a plan. And I did so with a good friend of mine who worked in sales and marketing. And his name was Sven Larson. And I went to Sven and I said, hey, this is what I would like to do. Do you think there's a possibility of this? And Sven told me, Rob, let me see what I'm going to do. Because Sven Larson, like Bob Harris, his job was to sell comics and move units. Okay? And so... Uh, in regards to, to, to my conversation with him, he began to come up with a plan. Now I'm going to read you a letter and, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what he had sent to me and you're going to find out how far along we were getting with this plan from June to September. This is the results. I got this in, in a fax. This is Marvel internal correspondence, September 3rd, 1990. Okay. I am reading from the facts. F-A-X. Okay. Not F-A-C-T-S, but you could use that too. The facts and the facts. It's from Sven Larson to Rob Liefeld. Subject, X-Force number one. Hey, Robbo. Hey, Robbo. Okay. Sven liked me. Despite some of the, um, the, the, the way that the creative teams were looking at me, uh, the guys in the sales department loved me because, again, New Mutants had gone from 112,000 copies to now, the summer, we're, we're 350, we, we've added almost 250,000 copies, okay? Things are, are just cooking. Hey, Robbo, <clears throat> we talked about your idea some more yesterday afternoon and got even more revved up about it. I also talked to Jim and to, uh, it, I'm thinking this could be Jim Lee. Jim yesterday... And he had some interesting comments too. I've got some marketing points I think you can bring up with Bob, my editor, Bob Harris, that might help sway things your way, okay? So he said, timing, number one, timing. Again, this is the sales, he is is the sales, um, the head of sales at Marvel Comics. 
Timing. Currently, they have the new X-Men book scheduled to be released in June as part of the new series premiere. What I think you should suggest to Bob is altering the schedule so that X-Force slash X-Terminators number one would ship in June instead. This would be advantageous for several reasons. Since Chris and Jim Lee have to deal with Extinction Agenda, they aren't going to they aren't really going to get rolling on their own stuff until December. That gives them only seven issues to build up momentum for the new X-Men titles. If we could delay X-Men number one to August, it would give them an extra two issues to get things up and running and also avoid the appearance in the marketplace, uh, the, uh, the appearance that we're trying to clone the success of Spider-Man number one, which could create a possible backlash in the marketplace. Okay, so it says... If we could delay that title to August, it would give them an extra two issues to get things going, and we would we would also avoid the appearance that we're trying to clone the success of Spider-Man number one, which could create a possible backlash in the marketplace. Also, with New Mutants 100 coming out in February, you would be you would have three months to generate demand for the title and get ahead on the new book. Finally, we were planning a spring promotion for all of the mutant books with Alan Davis and Paul Neary not arriving on Excalibur until April. This could be moved up to the summer promotion. If we schedule X-Force for June, it could be the final new series premiere and it, and also serve as the kickoff for the entire summer mutant promotion. You could have X-Force in one, number one in June, the revamped X-Factor debut in July, and the brand new X-Men book in August. This way you can get high sales across the board on X-Force since it would benefit from two promotional programs and hit the hot summer sales season. And you would build momentum for X-Men number one. The great thing is retailers will be placing their orders for X-Men number one at the exact time that X-Force is coming out, is arriving. Um, if they find themselves selling out of X-Force one, they will naturally increase their orders on X-Men. If we can get Bob to go on this timing, I think it would give the concept editorial marketing and promotional credibility. I think it would give the concept editorial marketing and and promotional credibility the name change you can sell it to bob both ways if he looks at his own sales figures on x-men classic he will see that a simple name change from classic x-men to x-men classic helped sales on a reprint book imagine what it can do to an all-new title you should also point out that the new mutants name has a definite stigma attached to it this is from sven larsen in marketing it has always been perceived as the weak sister of the of the mutant books, and many people avoid it just on principle. It's a lot. It's a much easier sell from a marketing standpoint to get people to try something they perceive as new rather than to get them to try something they haven't tried out in the past because they don't like it. You can also point out that this would help you return the brand name to its original owner thus keeping a major freelancer happy, that would be Chris Claremont, and potentially adding another profitable book to the company's roster within the next two years. Number three, editorial content. The change in editorial content and the start of a new series will allow us to generate much more publicity, both in-house and in fan publica publications, to promote the book. Let's face it, most of these fan publications feel that they got their New Mutant story when you took over the book. You're only getting, you're only going to get marginal coverage for a series revamp but a new series especially a brand new x series will generate intense publicity um including feature items and amazing heroes cbg and marvel age note that there is no wizard magazine noticed noted here because there is no wizard magazine this x-force thank god and all of my success happened prior to them coming on the scene thank god it says you would generate more publicity in q in 
including feature articles in Amazing Heroes, CBG, and Marvel Age Magazine, okay? Hope all of this helps out, Rob. I will continue to jot things down on paper this week. Carpe diem, Robbo. Carpe diem, okay? So this guy is full on in my corner, helping me out, helping me scheme. Because the reason he wrote this is because I had already pitched this and it had been turned down. As my father would say, or my mother, it had been poo-pooed. That's a nice 60s saying that I heard in the 70s. Oh, they're they're poo-pooing that. Poo-pooing that. Um, a nice way of saying they shit on it. They didn't want it. They didn't want it. So I took my meeting with Sven Larsen, my, my notes, and I re-engaged. And I sold the way he was selling, knowing that he is down the hall in the New York offices of Marvel Comics, selling it the exact same way. And they gave it more consideration. But it was in late September that I got the call that the Marvel panel had met Terry Stewart, the president, Tom DeFalco, the editor-in-chief, okay, Bob Harris, and they voted it down. There will be no X-Force. We are only going to keep this to the X-Men. I have, you know, told you that I had a follow-up call with Sven Larson, and he said, yeah, it's just not everybody's on board. There's some resistance to this. I, I, I don't know what the resistance could have been other than some segment, and I don't know who they are, and they've never been revealed to me, were fighting against making this happen. Um, turns out everything that he proposes is exactly how it ends up happening. X-Men happens in August. X-Force launches June, June 25th, the 30th anniversary, as you are listening to this, 30, 30 years ago, X-Force number one launched, exactly as that memo from September 30th, 1990 outlines. But it was resisted. It was voted down. It was voted down initially. It was voted down again. Then, as the extinction agenda is starting, as I am drawing it, okay, in, in now, by, by now I'm, I'm drawing the second issue in September, October, you know, as we're getting into October, I get a call. I get the call that it's going to happen. Rob, X-Force number one has been cleared, but we're going to have to move fast. I said, I'm already ready. We're already moving. If I didn't get X-Force number one, the, the team, everything you read in 98, 99 New Mutants, you know, 98, 99, 100, those are still the same. We're revamping the book. I have to stay with the, the name change. We'll have to sell it in an all new direction. This is what I want to do as the writer is to completely reset it, make this more of this warrior aggressive team. And again, X-Force's entire motto, Cable's entire motto is, Xavier is, let's be peaceful. Magneto is, let's hurt him. Cable said, you're both wrong. We have to be much more aggressive than you want to, Charles. But the humans are our friends and they're going to be our allies in crucial moments. He met in the middle, but he'd also kicked down doors and shoot you with his laser rifle, and was a much more a, a soldier, because as, again, the key to Cable is, as he's always said, I've seen the future, I've seen the possibilities, you don't want to know what I know, we have to change it from now, from here, and that was the imperative, and he kept his secrets along the way, in X-Force number one, Domino calls him out, what are you doing, why are you almost revealing who you are, that who you are was Christopher Summers, he's using telekinesis, he's using telepathy, that is the mark of, you know, his legacy, okay? Um, and and we're, we're playing with it right now, the Madeline Pryor of it all, the Scott Summers of it all, the legacy, okay? Um, the Jean Grey of it all. But I had to 
put that right there to start our new kind of who is he because we did the same thing with Strife and blew your head on the end of New Mutants 100. The end of New Mutants 100, which came out in February, by the way, sold a million copies. It went back to press. There's a gold, there's a silver version. That is because that book that sold 700,000 out the gate went back to keep selling out copies and, and the demand, they could not, you know, uh, supply could not deal with demand. So so you have this, and New Mutants, as I've said, I, I'm even more proud of that than I am X-Force. It has no special gimmick. New Mutants 100 is just a comic book. It doesn't have a glow-in-the-dark cover. It doesn't have an acetate animated cell cover. It do, it's not scratch and sniff. It doesn't have a die-cut claws ripped through it. It is just a comic. It's just 48 pages, two staples, and my imagination, my drawing, my art, my stories, my character, and you guys dug it. You dug what we were doing. And we were off to the races. And when I got that clearance that we were going to do X-Force, um, that's when things got really crazy and creative. I put in for multiple connecting covers. I was shot down. I was told Jim is getting that. Then I was told, you're going to get trading cards. And I was like, I'm going to get what? Trading cards? That's awesome. A different card in each pack? Oh my gosh. So on top of creating the double-sized X-Men number one, on top, which followed, you know, New Mutants 100, which was double-sized. I'm going to do these new cards. And uh, you guys showed up in droves with all your love, with all your excitement. But it almost didn't happen. And it took me working in tandem with the creative, with the sales guys in New York City to change those minds. Again, I don't know who the resistors were. I, I don't know if it was Bob Harris. I don't think so. I don't know if it was Tom DeFalco. Possibly. I don't know if it was Terry Stewart. The, the job of Marvel was to make money. Now, here's interestingly where I'm going to pivot this a little because this, this dovetails into a subject we need to talk about and, and, and you'll get my comment on it because there's a whole bunch of stuff that I know nothing about. I absolutely know nothing about. So when this is brought up and what this is, is in Wizard Magazine, in Wizard Magazine, they did an interview with um, the, Louise Simonson, who was the writer being replaced by myself on New Mutants. Now, I have—I don't have anything bad to say about Louise Simonson. Uh, I never have. It's not my—I'm not interested. We just didn't gel together. We didn't work together. There was creative tension. I was young. I was very aggressive um, in, in, in terms of what I believed— was necessary in turning the book around. The book was failing. When you when I tell you it was 112,000 copies, that may sound like a lot today, but the pace car, X-Men was selling 400,000 copies. Wolverine was selling 350,000 copies. Uh, X-Factor was selling 300,000 copies. New Mutants was almost 200,000 behind. Remember, in that letter that I just wrote you from, from Sven Larsen, he works there. He works there. Says that the New Mutants has always been perceived as the as having stigma. It is the weak sister of the mutant line. Okay, that is from a guy who every day took an elevator up to the New York offices and worked there Monday through Friday. That is an insider telling me. So Louise Simonson did an interview with, uh, talking about her work on Superman when she started crafting and contributing to the entire death of Superman um, storyline, which which is a high point. They, they pulled that off with Flying Colors. Reign of the Superman is one of my favorite Superman stories. Dan Jurgens, Louis Simonson, John Bogdanov, Jerry Ordway, everyone else who I'm not mentioning who contributed, those are just some of them. They, they nailed it. It's, it's a terrific storyline. But uh, um, um, 
in 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 this article, they say I'm just going to pick up right here. It says from Wizard. Um, let me see. I, I I will actually, you know, again to bring the receipts. I will bring the actual uh you know uh, uh issue number so so you guys know that I am telling it the way it is. This is from uh Wizard uh 1993 Wizard X Men. Uh, 30th edition magazine. Okay, so now you now you know where it's coming from. Marvel's increased concentration on big crossovers and short-term profits eventually led to Simonson's disenchantment in the company and the role she was being forced to play as writer. The decision to leave Marvel was certainly not easy. What eventually brought her dissatisfaction to the forefront was the hiring of brash young penciler named Rob Liefeld as the new mutant's new artist. Liefeld became increasingly hard for Simonson to work with. However, he was only part of the bigger problem. Now, this is a quote. Marvel had just been sold and the new buyers had a lot of attitudes and policies that I didn't agree with, Simonson points out. The books were suddenly being used to make Marvel a lot of money in the short term with no concern for the long run or the characters. Immediate cash appeared to be what Marvel was was bought for, to be milked and milked and milked. I think that at that point, anyone who looked like they could produce lots of instant cash for Marvel was likened to a god. And Rob Liefeld looked like he could do just that. He did a good job of selling comics for Marvel until he decided he'd rather sell them for himself. Editor Bob Harris made working for Marvel increasingly untenable. Another quote now from Louis Simonson. Rob was unhappy with the way the stories were going and wanted someone else to write them, she recalls. Although I wasn't fired, I was being shoved out the door with both hands by Bob Harris. Bob was only doing what he had to do to make Rob Liefeld happy or try to. It obviously didn't make Rob all that happy, she observes, given that Rob Liefeld eventually left Marvel and X-Force. It just goes to show, she laughs. Simonson believes this fixation on short-term profits is even more prevalent at Marvel now. She sees a different trend on the part of the business people and the editors who are charged with implementing business policy. She says, My problems were not so much with Rob Liefeld because all freelancers are greedy. Because all freelancers are greedy. One more time here. Louise Simonson says, My problems were not so much with Rob Liefeld because all freelancers are greedy and like to grab what they can, and that's fine. I was an editor for a very long time. I know how it works. My problems were with the editor who is not handling things well at all. It's up to an editor to choose the people who will work on any given project and let them know when their services are no longer required. I think that Bob was not willing to make those decisions. What he did to me, to Chris Claremont, to Peter David, to Joe Duffy, was to nickel and dime us to death. He would change plots and blame it on artists. He would change dialogue and then say, I'm sorry, I tried to call you and you weren't home, or I'll be sure and tell you the next time. He would change some of the dialogue, not other parts, so the things people said wouldn't make sense. It was his way of letting you know he was wishing that you would go away. Okay, enough of that. That's that's the all the 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 Liefeld portion of a Louis Simonson interview from the Wizard 30th anniversary X-Men issue. Here's the deal. Um uh I I don't know her relationship with Bob Harris. What I know is when I was given the book, I was told that I would be able to take it over in a very short time, that that there was an exit plan, okay? And uh, and that is what I was told by my editor. How that was facilitated is not something I was influencing at all. What is the kind of... Here's, here's the deal. If writer A has written the book for 25, 30 issues and the sales are going down, but new element in penciler comes on and sales go up. The the proof is in the artists 
who just came there and the sales go up. That's just common knowledge. Again, it's like the NBA. It's like you get a guy, you draft him, and suddenly he's your best player like Trey Young is in Atlanta right now, like Luka Doncic is, is in Dallas, like Kobe Bryant once was on the Lakers. Um, and you begin, to, you begin to shift and change because this is the guy that's going to win you championships. And let me tell you, selling 5 million copies is akin to winning a championship. It is a big, big sales boost. It is a big giant achievement. And that was something that no one can take away from me. It certainly wasn't made out of greed. I am there um, 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 creating stories that I hope you want to read. Why do artists do what they do? Why was I so nervous every month? Because if my sales weren't good or going up, I was going to lose my job. That's not greed, people. That's just basic needs. Basic needs are, I want to keep my job. If my employer feels good about what I'm doing and what I'm doing is selling more copies, then I'll have a job next month because I don't own Marvel Comics. I work for Marvel Comics or DC or whoever I was working for at the time. In this case, it was obviously Marvel Comics and I wanted to make my mark. I also didn't want to get left behind. It wasn't financial. It was opportunities. It was creative windows and it was just plain damn good competition. Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, whatever you want, whether it's uh, LeBron James, Steph Curry, competition is good. Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, I I, I talk about sports a lot because I watch a lot of sports. I love sports. I love competition. What I do in comic books is I compete and I compete at the highest level that I possibly can. And in this instant, it gave you Cable, it gave you Deadpool, it gave you Domino, it gave you strife. It gave you the mutant liberation front and all those characters. Um, I mean, so many that I I just can't continue to name them. But X-Force was not created out of greed. It was created out of opportunity and it was created to keep pace. I didn't want to get left behind. Not in the fans' minds, not in the publishers' minds, and God bless America, X-Force was my key. Now, when it came down to selling it, I have the Diamond Previews. I actually have the Diamond Previews catalog from April 1991 that is X-Force is on the cover. X-Force is on the cover. When you go inside, X-Force is a gem of the month, and it is on the first cover and in the... uh, in the opening letter by a, a gentleman named Steve Bond, who was the editorial uh, co- coordinator, the editor of, of the Diamond Previews catalog where you would order all your items. He says, this month, this month we feature the gems scheduled to ship in June, okay, when summer reading really heats up. Gem of the Month, X-Force number one, a new mutant team title from Marvel features characters and storylines spinning off from the final issue of New Mutants 100. The new team consisting of Cable, Cannonball, Feral, Boom Boom, Domino, Shadowstar, uh, they call it Shadowstar, Shadowstar, and Warpath. The popular creator, Rob Liefeld, moves over to work on X-Force. As if the excitement of a new X-Team title weren't enough, Marvel has added features that will blow sales of X-Force number one through the roof. All copies will be polybagged and contain one of five different impel trading cards of the X-Force team members. The cards will be visible through the clear bags, allowing comic and card collectors to see exactly which card they are receiving. X-Force number one could be the top seller of the year, at least until August, when X-Men number one by Jim Lee is scheduled to be released. Again, X-Men, we bought X-Men an extra two months. Okay, so that X-Men book looks a whole lot better, is received a lot better because we got in the middle, we got in there, and we um, we had that June slot. Now, inside the catalog, X-Force is given, let me see here, one, 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight preview pages. It's mostly the trading cards and one of the covers. Um, and it says Marvel Comics presents Rob Liefeld's X Force. Okay, now Marvel, a guy named Lou Bank, Lou Bank has written a write up on behalf of Marvel to retailers inside this catalog. Mutant fans arise. There's a new era beginning in Marvel's mutant line. And it starts here with X-Force number one. The new mutants have grown up and out of their old book and it affords the new team of X-Force, a new mutant strike force super squad. Their mission is to seek out the subversive mutant brethren and stop the terrorist acts before they can soil the name of Homo Superior. Rob Liefeld, the guy who brought you the new mutants, have created this new team that features familiar faces, including Cable, Domino, Cannonball, Boom Boom, Warpath. It also features some relatively new characters. Shutterstar, yes, people, it says Shutter with a U. So we have Shadowstar from Diamond on the interior page, and then Shutterstar and Feral further into the Shutterstar, S-H-U-T-T-E-R-S-T-A-R, and Feral further into the fold as these heroes join our merry band of mutants. And in the first several issues, they'll get a proverbial baptism of fire as the X-Force face off against such villains as the Mutant Liberation Front, Deadpool, Black Tom and the Juggernaut, the all-new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, and the Master of Magnetism, Magneto. You know how they know that? Because I wrote it and I gave them an outline for a year. That's what the writer does. He supplies to them the vision of the book. My vision for this book went all the way through the Cable miniseries because I had seen very clearly where I wanted to go and I left that, that unfortunately, when I left to do Image, I had to leave behind that um, outline that I had given Bob Harris for what would become the Cable series drawn by John Romita Jr. And much of that was followed to a T. Again, it's got Cable and Strife and Kane and all my characters, Six Pack, um, Bridge, Domino. So yeah, it was absolutely following the exact essentials of what I left behind. Um... To celebrate the first issue of X-Force, it's a 48-page issue at no extra cost to you or including specially designed collector cards into every copy. These cards are designed by Impel, the folks who created the Marvel Trading Card Set you've been collecting since late last year. They also feature brand new artwork by X-Force creator, writer, penciler, Rob Liefeld. On the following pages, you get early glimpses of the five cards, a must for any mutant fan or card collector. The second phase of Mutant Kind begins right here. We hope you enjoy reading it as much as we enjoy bringing it to you. This was a big deal. They covered it. It was a big deal. It was a, it was marketed as a big deal. And it, and it hit. And, and that afternoon, I went on June on January, <laughs> what am I doing? On June 25th, June 25th, I went to a comic store just like you. I didn't get any advanced copies. They, uh, they hadn't mailed them to me in advance, but I had obviously written and drawn the entire book. Um, as far as scripting, you guys want me to talk about the script? I, I actually don't think you care. Um, the bottom line is I worked with a lot of different scripters at the time. Scripters were a byproduct of the big creators at the time, the pencilers who were taking charge, like Jim Lee, like myself, like Bulls Portacio, like um, so many of us. Uh, even George Perez was having Len Wein do script on his Wonder Woman stories when he relaunched Wonder Woman. George was absolutely the writer, but he gave scripting dialogue script dialogue to um, to Len Wein. I was looking over, at, you know, some of the... the, the, the uh, Credits today, Balloon Stuffer, uh, you know, uh, Everything But, you know, it, it are some of the credits. Look, here's the deal. I've worked with a bunch of great, I've, I've, I've worked with a dozen different scripters. They script from the story that is presented to them, the story conceived by the writer. And in this case, I was the writer. I don't, it, I, I, I pride myself on the fact that I can work with all manner 
of scriptures. My son the other day said, Dad, could I script over one of your stories? Would I be able to? I said, absolutely. It's it's easy. I make it easy. I make it as easy as I possibly can in that I tell you what is going on and I'm a damn good storyteller. That's why I've been doing this for so long. And those pictures and those motivations are on the page. And again, if they're not, like with all my books back then, I would have a, uh, a yellow pad lined blue line, yellow pad that I would write down all of the notes that was necessary for editor and whoever that scripter would be. So X-Force Lance, I grabbed the books. I grab them all up. I can't believe how great they look. I had such a great time that day driving from different stores. And that Saturday, I had a big um, store signing in, in uh, Brea, California, and was very, um, was very, uh, interested and, and intrigued and, um, um, you know, uh, uh, excited to, to, to do a store signing line out the door. People were very excited. Um, but I'm going to tell you X-Force, what, what I ha- there was another memory that I associate with X-Force that summer. And this is again, getting to the youth, getting to some of the interesting stories, um, uh, the, the interesting stories that come along with, 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 uh, with doing a book like this, and and again, when I when I talk about the the youth, um, and 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 the culture uh, of of kind of holding my youth against me, which is not a big deal. If anything, it drove me. Please, I'm not telling you this to 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 shed any tears. Never. I, I draw so much strength from this stuff. Um, San Diego Comic Con in uh, in 1991 was happening. Um, what 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 was was happening? Shortly after, uh, shortly after X Force Number One had arrived, and uh, and and when when I was there, when I arrived there to uh, you know to to uh, to to sign, I had my typical you know I had my typical uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, Space in Artist Alley, just like just like anybody else. I had my typical space in Artist Alley, and the uh, the the just like I would be positioned next to anybody at any at any time at any place. Um, when 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 and 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 here's the here's the big thing thing. This was the first year that the new facility was um was was being was being opened, and uh, and we we were. We, it was very exciting and and this this facility was kind of was kind of new to all of us and uh, the uh, July 4th through 7th so that was this was the week after X-Force number one July 4th through 7th was the 1991 Comic Con in the new facility there was only three halls a B and C what you now know a B C D E F G and then hall H a B C D E F G H yeah. So, so that, those came later over later years, but in the, but, but, but at this point, at this time, this is new. I sit at my, my table, which is among all the other artists, you know, um, there were, there were these giant islands of tables, these, you know, you'd have two or three to a table and, 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 and then you, you stepped inside and you, as, as people, you just wander around the island. Maybe, maybe Jim Lee and Scott Williams and Wolf Potassio are here. Maybe Eric Larson's here. Maybe Rob Liefeld's here, you know, DC artists, whatever, independent artists. I sat down and this giant line forms that goes down the, the, the aisle and spills into the larger 
aisle from the larger main aisle. And I hadn't been signing for just a few minutes. Uh, and there was complaints. Other artists were very mad. The line was cutting them off. It was blocking off their, 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 uh, it was blocking off their view, um, uh, blocking off their displays. And, uh, the, my uncle was with me. My uncle, it was his first Comic-Con. He had brought a box of the comics. He wanted to see this firsthand. He wanted to be a part of this. So it's myself and my uncle and the comic convention staff comes up to us and says, you know what, Rob, this is creating, um, a problem. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's, you know, between the fire marshal, between the, the crowds, between the, the, this, this is really not fair to everyone around them. And I said, oh, I understand. You know, I, I, I'm a guest of the San Diego Comic-Con. We're going to move you all the way to the back. All the way to the back meant off the floor, out into the back foyer with the pillars and the elevators. And they said, we're going to get you set up. We're going to get you a table. We're going to, we will move the entire line with you. And they said, is this okay? And I said, that's fine. And the rest of the day, I was moved to the, if you go back behind the, you know, the snacks of, of where the existing Comic-Con is now, there's a small area. And I was put back there to sign X-Force number one for all the fans. But I did get the stares, the ugly, um, the, the ugly looks and the bad ill from, I guess, the older guard, of which most everyone was the older guard because I was one of the youngest guys in comics, okay? At that time, I'm 22 years old. I am not yet 23. I'm 22 years old, and uh, I am getting uh, some 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 bad ill will as if I planned to upset the apple cart and to create the commotion and the crowds. That wasn't part of the plan. I was just trying, I was just there to have a good time and to sign your comics. And, and I'm glad I did. I'm glad I was able to sign my comic. But literally one week later, after the book coming out, being at San Diego, causing the commotion, creating what would be ill will that would follow me for, for, for again, most of my career. It was, it's interesting. And in reflecting and finally reflecting was, as we wrap this extended look back on X-Force, 30 years of X-Force, there was an, in that same issue of Wizard. It's so interesting watching how the press covers this. This is again, 1993. This talks about, um, the, 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 it talks about the new guys taking over at Marvel. And it said the winds of change began when Rob Liefeld was coming off DC's Hawk and Dove miniseries. He was offered the then floundering Marvel title, The the New Mutants. This is the Wizard Special Edition 1993 X-Men Anniversary. He was offered the then floundering Marvel title, The New Mutants, starting with issue 86. He was given the assignment by X-Men editor Bob Harris. He was asked to revamp and redesign the visuals of characters in the first two issues. Rob gave them Cable, Strife, the Mutant Liberation Force. Then it says, perhaps you've heard of them. Liefeld's creations and costumes and paraphernalia can be considered a trend of the 90s with broad shoulder pads, humongous guns all over the place. Cable personified all these traits which left fans howling for more. Behind Liefeld's strong action shots, Cable became the new hot mutant on the book, out ousting Wolverine from the position of most prominent mutant. Imagine that. Remember what I said earlier. Imagine you're a kid. You want to be part of that world. And now Cable is running neck and neck with Wolverine for most popular mutant. Um, due to editorial disagreements and Simonson leaves the book, Louis Simonson, and the writing job was given to neophyte artist Rob Liefeld, starting with New Mutants 98. Liefeld 
literally took over story, pencils, and inks. With this 90 issue 98, he hit his stride with breakneck breakneck plots and uh, getting rid of major players in the world of, and introducing new players in the world of mutants. This major upheaval led to the addition of several new characters, Deadpool, Domino, Shatterstar. Other um, original New Mutants characters, Sunspot, and founding members left the group. Warpath's entire um, Indian reservation is wiped out by the Hellfire Club, and he joins the team. Sunspot, a prominent member of the Hellfire Club, was poisoned. Strife was revealed to look exactly like Cable, and that was just for starters. Um, the tumultuous events of these issues set the stage for the surprise ending of the New Mutants 100. The final issue of the series, Life led Cable take the future of mutants into his own hands by dissolving the New Mutants team and forming X-Force, a mutant military X-Force uh, with Cable as their leader. No character within the series was the same again. Released a few months after the New Mutants 100, X-Force became the best-selling comic book of that time. The main factor was having the winning Liefeld cable X-Force combination. This milestone catapulted Rob Liefeld into the elite comic book status of Superstar. X-Force did not stop where the New Mutants left off. Major characters like Kane, the six-pack, Bridge were introduced. Hints of Cable's secret past were dropped. The oft-controversial Liefeld left after a little bit over a year on X-Force. His legacy and techniques still evident on the title. I do not know why I was... um, uh, oft times controversial. And it's something I discuss with you because it tickles me and I'm smiling. So please know, I love that. It's because I was young. And again, you cannot, uh, young immediately translates to cocky, especially when everything that the young guy attempts to do works out. Every Everything I shot for connected, it worked. And as a result, this I stopped after I counted 60 cable action figures and statues today. I stopped at 100 with Deadpool. I mean, Domino has two dozen. Shatterstar has a dozen. There was multiple X-Force toys, multiple video game appearances, countless video game appearances by this casting characters. X-Force introduced a new wing and expanded the world and the adventure of the X-Men. And for that, I am eternally grateful that you loved it. I am so thrilled that I was able to create and generate it. And today, I am so excited that we have celebrated 30 years of X-Force number one. You, today, you were buying X-Force number one. It was the number one book of that year, marked as such by Diamond because, because it all came out in one week. X, X-Men came out over five different weeks, so they didn't accumulate those and count those. X-Force was the number one selling book of 1991 that is ranked as such by Diamond because X-Force, all 5 million copies came out in one solid week, not broken up over several weeks. I'm not making that up. Those are receipts. I'll put that in my Twitter timeline. I'll show you. I'll take pictures. I'll display it. Thank you for um, enjoying X-Force as much as you have for enjoying Cable and Domino and Shatterstar and Deadpool and Bridge and Kane and Strife and all of them. I am so humbled. My, the little kid in me is still so excited when I see any of these characters in any panels in any of the different Marvel comics that they appear in. Uh, I just want to let you know, I have had, this is what I tell my kids all the time and my wife, I want them to know if, you know, maybe I have a bad reaction to, 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 to some illness or maybe maybe the, the vaccine makes my heart swell up like I read it could, whatever. I'm vaccinated, by the way, so come on. Um, 
but but I always maybe I'm in a car wreck, you know, whatever happens. I've had the most spectacular life. And you guys have helped make it the most spectacular life. I married the woman of my dreams. I have um, a family that I could only dream of, but I have had the most spectacular career and 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 life and existence. And I just want you guys to know this. And I wake up every day looking to push the envelope, not to maintain the status quo. Okay, um, I I just uh, have loved every minute of bringing you comic books. And and thirty years ago was an absolute highlight in a career of highlights in a year that 1990 to 1991 window is just phenomenal and i thank you for it and i thank you for listening to Rob's observations we're not going to do any um uh reviews today I, I went very long today i'm so thankful that you guys have decided to listen to Rob's observations promote it to your friends um thank you for the reviews thank you for the kind words you know you guys know that you can reach me on twitter at robert liefeld blue check that's me at Rob Liefeld on Instagram, blue check, that's me. I'm all over Facebook. I'm all over social media. I love when we talk. I love when we share. I love connecting with you guys. Where were you 30 years ago? Share with me your memories of buying X-Force number one. Share with me your favorite characters. Why did you love what you loved? What did you think when they attacked Stripes Base in that opening 20-minute all-out action explosion? What a blast. All the twists, all the turns. What did you think when Domino said, what are you doing? Why are you revealing who you are to them? So many great memories. So many good times. Thanks for sharing them with me. You guys know the drill. You are going to stay safe. You're going to take care of yourself. And we are going to talk again real soon. (laughs) 